Someone wanted to clap, and then you guys left them hanging there. Oh, man. It doesn't mean anything anymore. Thank you, guys. Hey, I'll clap for you. I got you. There was something said uh, in this morning's session that I thought um, was really, really profound. It was something I said. I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> now, there was something said, um, and I thought, man, I want to highlight that because I hope it's not lost in... Obviously, my approach this week has been speaking to more of the heavy and, and uh, weighty sides of the careers that you have chosen or are working towards or find yourself volunteering in. But I thought when Aaron said, don't forget the joy that it is to serve in ministry, um, that's why I want to speak to the weightiness of it. Because if you believe what you say, that we are sinful, that we are dead in our transgressions and sins, and that the wages of that sin is death, but... The free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. If you believe that when Jesus says, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life, and nobody gets to the Father except through me. If you believe that he who knew no sin became sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. If you believe in those gospel truths. That anyone who confesses with their mouth and believes in their heart that Jesus is Lord and that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. If you believe that truth, don't forget, that's what you get to do for a living. You get to teach and train people in the ways of Jesus, a message that transcends time and eternity, a message that is the only hope we have in this world. It is a joy, and it can also be really difficult. And so I just wanted to encourage you with, uh, this is an honorable thing that we get to do. It is an incredible thing. And I'm sure if we went around the room, uh, not only would we be here all night, but just getting to hear, why are you in ministry? And then a follow-up, why are you still in ministry? I would love to hear that. We're just going to go one by one, take your time. I'm just kidding. Yeah. My kids, they're in childcare. Uh, let's go all night then. Um, I want to speak tonight on what we do when life throws storms our way, but specifically what we do as leaders when life throws storms our way. I thought this would be fitting for our last kind of general session together, and we'll do something in the morning um, that will be more of a a commissioning and, and kind of a celebration of this week um, will be a good morning. But tonight I wanted to just take the time to speak on one last psalm for, for those of you who find yourself in the midst of storm, in the midst of hardship, and still having to find the strength in yourself to get up and serve and lead and teach. Uh, Mike Tyson famously said that everybody has a plan until they get punched in the face. I'll never forget where I was on February 21st, 2021. I was in bed. It was early in the morning. I got a phone call that one of my dear, dear friends had died suddenly of a heart attack in the middle of the night. I was supposed to go to church that day. I was supposed to lead a training for Onward that night. I was at my sister's wedding this last May when my mom had a health episode. 
had to be rushed to the ambulance, uh, by ambulance to the hospital. And before I could even go see her in the hospital, I got in a car and drove from San Diego to Hume Lake because we were running a retreat for Onward. And I had nobody else that could do the retreat for me. I'll never forget on July 18th when my mom passed away. And I was slated to teach at a summer camp on July 24th. Like just not even barely a week since my mom had passed. Like there's, there's times where we still have to do this calling that God has placed in our lives when your life is a mess, when your life is difficult. And so where do we turn to for help in those moments? Where do we turn to for guidance when it feels like we have nothing to offer? Because we ourselves in that moment are the ones who need a pastor. We ourselves in those moments are the ones who need a leader. What do we do? Psalm 121, verses 1 and 2 is where we're going to start. And it's, the, it's, a, it's a song of the ascent. It says, I lift my eyes up to the mountains. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. If you have a non-NIV translation, would you be so bold as to stand and read that for us? Psalm 121, 1 and 2. Non-NIV. I lift my eyes to the hills. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. What was that? Uh, ESV. ESV. Anyone with non-NIV or ESV have a translation that sounds slightly different than that? I'm not looking for anything in particular except some nuance. Any, any others? We good? Cool. I lift my eyes up to the mountains. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. The psalmist is talking about gazing upon creation, gazing upon things that are, are big, that are unfathomable, that are massive. Things that also God says that faith the size of a mustard seed can move. And as he's gazing at this mountain... He poses a question, where does my help come from? If you are familiar with the song of the ascent, these are songs that the Israelites would sing as they made their way up the steps to the temple in Jerusalem. These are like worship songs for them. Most of the Psalms are, but these were specifically select few that they would, they would go through and they would, they would sing these, oftentimes communally as they hiked up the steps, as they traveled and journeyed to the temple. Where does your help come from? The answer is, my help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. I think it's important for those of you who are in the beginning stages of your ministry career to remember that the pressure to have all of the answers, the pressure to be the smartest in the room, the pressure to be the most confident in the room, the pressure to not show um, weakness, the pressure to not show that you don't have it all together is a pressure that you and you alone have put on yourself. Nobody's putting that pressure on you but you. Nobody expects you to have it all together. Nobody expects you to have all the answers. Nobody expects you to know things that you have not yet experienced. It's been said that the longest journey that a man can take is the 18 inches from his head to his heart. There's a difference between knowing and there's a difference between wisdom. There's a difference between knowing what the right answer is and doing it, right? There's a difference between knowing the right thing to say and then also having experienced that. That's, that's sort of what I was 
hoping to articulate last night as we talked about practicing the presence of God. It's, it's one thing to know you should have a private, quiet, devotional time with the Lord. It's another thing to know that that's where you meet him. That secret place is special. Your prayers can be as raw and vulnerable as the emotions that you're feeling. That most often, God is silent. And it's in that silence that you find peace. That you find harmony. What the Hebrews would call shalom. You don't have to have it all together. You don't have to be the smartest. You don't have to be the wisest. You have to be the servant. That's what God's called you to. So when you need help... Here's where you go. You go to the maker of heaven and earth. That help comes from the Lord. There's this story in the New Testament that I think is so awesome in this context. Uh, there's a story in the New Testament that I think is so cool when we contextualize it to um, the group of men who experienced this storm and who they were in proximity to Jesus. Turn to Mark 4, if you will. Mark chapter 4. Mark chapter 4 is awesome because it's very familiar for a lot of us. Mark chapter 4, we all there? You guys had a lot of posture. You're a little quiet tonight. You're quiet. Yeah, we did. Uh, anyone sad there wasn't any salmon? Uh, just me. Um, yeah. I think that might have been lake trout. I'm not sure. Uh, all right, Mark 4 is great. Here's why Mark 4 is so great. Mark 4 starts with the parable of the sower. Who wants to tell us what the parable of the sower means? Go ahead. What's the purpose of the parable of the sower? I know you've all taught this. Come on. <laughs> We're doing a sermon series on parables. You probably started with this one. What is it? I'm happy to teach you if you don't know. <laughs> <laughs> What's the purpose of the parable of the sower? It's not a trick question. Yeah, just yell it. Yeah. yeah. He talks about different types of soil. A rocky soil, a thorny soil, a, a path that's too hard, compacted for it to take root. And Jesus even explains like exactly that. He goes, well, the purpose of this parable is the, the seed is the word, and God grows it, right? And then he goes into the parable of the lamp on a stand. What does that one mean? The lamp on a stand. Yeah. Yeah, it's meant to be shared. You're the light of the world. You're a city on a hill. Yeah. Then he goes into the parable of the growing seed. Take a crack at that one. What's the purpose of the parable of the growing seed? And feel free to just read it and then tell me. That's fine, too. Thank you. Yeah. It's God. It's the work of God, right? Okay. Then we go into the parable of the mustard seed. Hint, hint, I told you that one a second ago, but that's okay. Let's do it again. What's the parable of the mustard seed? Something small that grows unexpectedly. Yeah, yeah. It doesn't take much faith, right? It doesn't take a ton to see God move mountains. God is never asking for perfection. Jesus is our perfection. So I want you to now think about who is present to hear each of these parables taught. Who? Yeah, the disciples. Who's present for, for the miracle of, 
of the water turning into wine, of the feeding of the 5,000. Who's present for those miracles? The disciples. Yeah. The leaders doing ministry with Jesus have a front row to all of this wisdom. The leaders doing ministry with Jesus have a front row seat to him teaching these parables. I wonder if they had green room talk after. Like, Jesus, that was great. But had you, like, whispered during that part, it might have had more of an emphasis, you know? <laughs> you know, we had, we had some of the Gentiles there. They're not the best farmers. Maybe instead of seed, you could, you could use the yeast thing. That seemed to really work in the last town we were in. Like, the yeast really worked, you know? I wonder what those, like, conversations were as they traveled up and down the roads. Was Jesus quiet? Have you ever hung out with your mentor and they don't talk much until you start talking? If you're in therapy, you know how that feels. Where it's like the silence of someone wiser just makes you talk more. You're like, I guess I have to keep going. This, you you want to really freak out a mentor or like a counselor or a therapist? Just don't say anything. It's really fun to hear like what kind of questions they come up with. That's how messed up I am. I'm like, how can I even trick my therapist right now? <laughs> Some goodwill hunting stuff right there. The disciples are present for all of this. And then they have this moment... They have this moment where it says in, in Mark 4, verse 35, that day when evening came, he said to his disciples, let us go over to the other side. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along just as he was in the boat. There were also other boats with him. A furious squall came up, and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him and said to him, teacher, don't you care if we drown? He got up, rebuked the wind and the waves, quiet, be still. I like the ESV translation for that verse. It says, peace, be still. Then the wind died down and it was completely calm. He said to his disciples, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? They were terrified and asked each other, who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. What a rad story. I think it becomes even more interesting when we apply the context that the disciples were present for most of Jesus' public ministry, if not all of it. There's a couple moments, like the woman at the well, where they go on like a, like a hummus run, and he's just sitting there alone. But for the most part, right? <laughs> that joke did way better than it ever has. <laughs> I need my mind right there. Um, but for the most part, like, they're there. They're there for all of it. They, they oftentimes are tasked with teaching some of this thing, of serving others, collecting the bread when Jesus feeds the 5,000. These are men who are present for all of it. And they find themselves in a position where what they knew and what they believed were at odds. What they knew is that this is the God who just taught about faith, who just taught about the word, who just taught about the kingdom, who just taught about the type of lives we should live. But what they believed was that they were going to die on this boat. There's a difference there. I think that for a lot of us in ministry, storms have the ability to freak us out. They have the ability to make us question our faith. Storms have the ability to make us question our calling. Storms have the ability to make us question God's place in our lives. And I can't help but wonder if that's not the purpose of storms. 
I can't help but wonder if the hardness of life is not meant to be used to draw us closer to God. Because it's in this storm that the disciples learn a a valuable lesson, one that we'll see them learn time and time again, especially after Jesus' death. Like there's that moment, that pause after Jesus dies where there's just nothing going on. He's gone. He said he'd come back, but he hasn't yet. So what do we do in the lull of God's promises being fulfilled? Verse 37, we'll read back to it. In verse 37, it says, A furious squall came up, and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Water is flooding into the boat. I was sitting at my desk, and for about half the year, I sit on Zoom with young leaders from around the country, um, just kind of mentoring and, and working through life and leadership and ministry, and, and, and it's kind of awesome. I work from home, mostly on a screen. You guys got to move away from Zoom. I haven't yet. And my daughter comes in and she goes, Dad, you need to come here quick. This is my oldest daughter. She's not the most like tricky person. She's kind of just a real sweetheart. She has like the heart of a mom. And so when she says, Dad, you need to come quick, you tend to listen, right? Like I have three other kids. If they said it, I'd be like, what's going on? But with Marley, I was like, oh, this is bad. Especially for her to come into my office when the door is closed because they kind of know like I'm probably having a conversation that's just between me and whoever else is on the screen. She goes, Dad, you need to come quick. There's water running down the stairs. So I shoot up from my desk, and I think I said something like, oh, hell, you know, like some frustrated, like, gosh, dang it, you know, like just a moment of um, really not at all taking any of the advice that I'd likely been giving on my computer that day. <laughs> I'm thinking, how much money is this going to cost? I'm thinking, like, our, our laundry room is upstairs in our house. Like, is the whole upstairs flooded? Is it a bathroom? Like, what's going on? And I run over to the stairs, and my daughter had put every shoe that is in our household on the steps and had filled it with cups full of water. And she goes, gotcha, get it? The water's running down the stairs? <laughs> yeah. I, I took away YouTube. I was like, you're done. <laughs> Like the perfect example of those distractions and disruptions that we face. The best part was I said, clean that up, I'm going back to work. (laughs) She hasn't tried to prank me since, um, which is great. There's times where the storms and squalls of life are, are even more serious. And a lot of ministry does this for us. What's happening to the disciples here in the boat, a lot of ministry does this where it helps us to discern what I believe versus what I know. And I kind of explained that difference a minute ago. It it kind of exposes in us the the parts of our hearts and the parts of our faith where we feel as though I really have just been faking this because now I'm facing something that is difficult and I feel inadequate for it. Sometimes in our desire to perform well, we put the emphasis on teaching and preaching, the more public side of things. Because if I can convince the hundred of you that are here at Youth Workers this week that I'm a good communicator, then I've done my job. And if we take that same mindset into our youth groups and and churches, then then teaching and preaching becomes the chief end of the church and not discipleship and care. And what James says is true religion, the care for orphans and the care for widows. I I saw this article about a year ago, and so I put it into a sermon, and then I've seen it come up two more times in the last year where they keep finding people who are applying for sign language interpreter jobs who don't know sign language. 
And so like someone will just be up there like throwing up gang signs, you know, and like just going along with the person who's talking. And then someone will like tune in to watch like the news like thing that's happening. And they'll be like, that person's not doing sign language at all. And so they call the person and they're like, hey, that, you have someone there that doesn't know sign language. And sure enough, the person does it. They're like, I just saw an open job. I needed work. So I just like showed up. So that's awesome. <laughs> like, like they, should they be in trouble? Maybe like that's their bad for not like having some kind of interview process. I feel that way so often in ministry where I'm like, I'm up there just going through the motions, having no idea what I'm doing. I'm just trying to emulate what I've seen, what I've heard, what I've read, what I feel like is right. The storms in ministry expose that in us. Verse 38, the disciples look to Jesus and it says that he was in the stern sleeping on a cushion. I always wonder if the cushion was soggy. Like, was he really sleeping or was he doing what like a lot of us parents do on Saturday mornings where it's like, oh, they're not awake yet. We should come back later. But really, you are awake. You're just hoping that they'll come back later and leave you alone for a little while. Like, was the, was the boat filling with water to where, like, Jesus' robe is wet? Like, where his leather sandals getting a little squishy? Was he really asleep? It's assumed he was really asleep. And so the disciples woke him and said, teacher, don't you care if we drown? The disciples do this out of fear. Don't you care? How could you be asleep in this moment? Have you ever had a moment in your ministry, in your life, where you do that? Katie talked yesterday morning about that. God, how long will you make me wait? I think it's a similar type of yearning and longing that we have. When we're facing difficulties, when we're facing complexities, God, how long will you make me wait? Where are you? Show your face to me. Can you answer a prayer? Give me a sign. Make that bird fly off the telephone pole if, you, if we're like talking right now. Like, what is going on? Not the best theology, but I'm just being honest. I've had moments like that where I'm like, what on earth is happening? Why are you being quiet right now? I just taught on practicing your presence. I'm doing it. Hello, can you pick up the phone? The disciples are doing this. Don't you care if we drown? Verse 39. Jesus got up, rebuked the wind and the waves, and said, quiet, be still. Then the wind died down, and it was completely calm. As I said earlier, other translations say peace. Peace. Jesus speaks peace. Jesus speaks calm over the storm. He shows that what the Psalm of the Ascent had had talked about is absolutely true. He is the maker of heaven and earth. God is all-knowing. God is all-powerful. God has full and complete and total control over his creation. Jesus commands the wind and the waves to die down, and immediately it stops. Then we see Jesus' response to this moment. We see that Jesus cares for his disciples, and his care for the disciples is shown in his calming the storm. If you remember Genesis 1.1, it says that in the beginning God made, that God has the power and the authority to call the storms to cease. But this wasn't the purpose of their journey. The, The purpose of their journey wasn't necessarily to see the authority of God over the wind and the waves. The purpose of their journey, as evidenced by Jesus's response to them, was to trust that if they're in the boat with their rabbi, everything's going to be okay. His care for them is shown in how he calmed the storm, but his fear for them is shown in his correction. He corrects them. He says in verse 40, 
why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? Ruth Haley Barton has this great quote. She said, truly, the best thing that any of us can bring to our leadership is our own transforming selves. A couple observations in no particular order about this interaction on the boat. One, I think that it is commendable that the disciples did go to Jesus and said something's wrong. They recognized his authority in that moment. Two, I always thought Jesus was a little bit grumpy and kind of like my dad was when he would take naps as a kid, like, like don't wake him up. You know, he's going to be a little edgy when he wakes up. But I, I can't help but, but think of the parables that the disciples had just heard before they lifted their leg to get onto that boat. Jesus had just been teaching on the importance of the, the, the condition of our hearts as we hear the word of God taught. He had just been teaching on how faith is, is something that is meant to be shared, on how faith grows in our hearts like a seed. He had just been encouraging the disciples with just a little bit of faith, a measure of faith as much as a mustard seed has the ability to move mountains. And then the disciples find themselves in a place where having heard what they heard now has a chance to be exercised and lived out. They had a chance to put into practice the messages that they had just heard Jesus teach. And they failed to do so. Jesus didn't kick them off the boat. I don't know if Jesus went back to bed or, or what was going on like after this interaction. But I'll, I'll say it again, like Jesus shows care for them in calming the storm, but he shows concern for their lack of faith. Don't forget in your leadership journey, in your life, whatever God may throw your way, don't forget God has the ability to calm the storm, but sometimes God allows the storms to rage because there's transformation for you in that. There's an opportunity for your faith to grow as it's exercised. There's an opportunity for the things that you've heard, for the things that you've even taught others to take root and to mature in you and to begin to bear fruit. And I think there's this misconception that it's just aging that does that. It's aging while being obedient that does that. Oswald Chambers said, um, why don't you just let God handle the consequences of your obedience? Sometimes we'll say no to God because the thing he's asking us to do is so scary. Oswald Chambers says, hey, let God handle the consequences of your obedience. Was it scary to be on the boat in the midst of a storm? Yeah. Would all of our faiths be called into question as we're looking at Jesus going, really? You're just going to sleep through this one. <laughs> you going to do anything? I wonder if they were like, wake him up. No, you wake him up. I'm not doing it. Like, was it like Bartholomew, like one of the disciples we don't hear from? Like, this is why we don't hear about him in the Gospels, because he's the one that woke Jesus up. <laughs> like, you have John, the one whom Jesus loved, and Bartholomew, the alarm clock, you know? <laughs> what is a version of a storm for you in your life? What is, what is that thing that, that rattles your faith? What is that thing that when you face it, that problem that has yet to be solved, that prayer that has yet to be answered, what is that thing that makes you call into question God's power? What is that thing that seems to rob you of faith, seems to make you feel as though you don't have faith? You have the faith of a pagan, of a Gentile, because in that moment you go, I actually don't trust or believe God for this thing. What is that for you? It's important that you know what those are. And it's important that when you face that subject or that topic, it's so important that you remember this is the God who speaks 
and our present reality comes into existence. That just because God hasn't answered that prayer yet doesn't mean that he won't, and God may never answer that prayer, and it does not change the measure of faith that you have. It's important for you to remember that God is in control, wholly and fully in control. And the invitation that he has given to you as ministry leaders is to join him in that work. Where is God at work in your own heart? Where can you join God in the work he's doing in your life? Where is God at work in your church? Where can you join the work that God is already doing in your church? For most, if not all of you, it's in the job title that you have. What about in your home, the family you have or the family you long to have? What about in your neighborhood? What about in your community? What about in your friendships? What about in the relationships you have with your family or your extended family? What is God already at work doing there? And join him in that. And know that just because you face difficulty and trial and hardship and storms, God is still in there with you. And God desires that you would have faith to know that he is holy and fully in control, absolute control. John Ortberg said that spiritual transformation is not a matter of trying harder, but training wisely. And so here's what we do when we face problems. Again, spiritual transformation is not a matter of trying harder, but training wisely. I could say it this way, training versus trying. Here's what trying does. Trying involves me using my skills, using my charisma, using my effort to solve the present problem that I'm facing. Training involves me taking on a different point of view with the challenges and storms that life brings me and looking at those as opportunities for my faith to grow because God is in control. I'm not going to cope. I'm not going to run. I'm not going to complain. I'm not going to hide. Sure, there may be times where I lament. I find myself very much in a season of lament. I'm mourning the loss of my mom. I have some big question marks around the nonprofit that I've started. I'm going through it, right? I'm in, I'm in process right now. But I trust that God is in control. And I trust that he can do it. And so I fight with all my might and all my strength to not just try harder, but to train myself for the purpose and the discipline of godliness. I fail time and time again. But the mindset that I put on when I go through the challenges that life has is the mindset of, I'm going to go through this because God has things he wants to teach me in this. So here's how we approach problems. We approach problems like something that we just need to get through. I wonder what the disciples missed out on having woken Jesus up. I wonder if their prayer life, I wonder if their faith could have grown had they white-knuckled the oars and rode out that storm, trusting that if God is here, even though he's asleep, or it seems as though he's asleep, it's going to be okay because he's here with us. I wonder what they missed out on in that moment. I wonder what kind of lessons were deferred. I wonder what kind of faith was deferred because they tried to take the easy way out. They panicked they feared. When you face the challenges that life is inevitably going to throw your way, you have to view those challenges as opportunities for you to grow. It's not a video game. In a video game, if you play video games, like you, you beat the level and then you level up. In real life, you go through the level and that's how you level up. There's no point where we've arrived. Sure, will it be great when God finally answers your prayer for singleness? Absolutely. But think about how much you get to take with you if you go through this time of your life where you are single. You get to take that into a relationship that God has for you. 
For those of you who have young children that seem to just rob you of all of your time, of all of your effort, of all of your energy, there will be a day where it will be exposed how well you discipled your children. There will be a day where you get to see their behavior, where you get to seeds of faith that you've sown in them begin to bear fruit. And I hope and pray that you don't have regret. I hope and pray that there is a day where you go, I'm so glad that we tried and, and, and trained, and that we showed up for those moments because it really matters. If, if we just kind of like gloss over and check out when life becomes hard, there's a day where you are going to check back into reality, and you will have missed out on so many opportunities to be intimate with God because you weren't present through it. The obstacle is the point. The obstacle is the way. It's not just getting through it, it's getting through it faithfully. It's not just getting past this, it's getting past this and juicing it and squeezing it and wrestling with it and seeking God for everything that he can teach you amidst the storms in life. The many hardships we face as leaders are merely training opportunities. The many hardships that you will face as a leader are merely training opportunities. And when we view them as that, we create space for God to join us. When we realize that I don't have to go through this alone, I can go through this with God. Uh, this isn't a matter of me not being strong enough or me being too weak. This is an opportunity for me to invite the God of heaven and earth. Where does my help come from? Where does your help come from? It comes from God, the maker of heaven and earth. Please don't forget that. Again, I'll say this. What's our response to this story? The big thing that sticks out to me here is that Jesus' care is shown in his calming the storm, but his concern for their lack of faith was shown in his correction. He does care for you deeply. He died for you. He promises to be with you. He says, behold, in Matthew 28, he says, behold, I'm with you always to the very end of the age. He is with you. We will face storms in life, both literal and figurative. And so what do we turn to? We turn to God. We turn to God. Where does your help come from? It comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. Let me just be practical for a second, right? So the preaching part's over. Let me just share um, three things that I see us doing as ministry leaders, three things we turn to. So that was more for you as an individual. Let me turn to you because of the career path that you've chosen or, or are working hard towards, okay? I realize it's a weird ending, but we're going to do it anyways. It's too late to go back now. Uh, there's three things that I see young leaders and those of us who lead in full-time ministry turn to when things get hard. The first thing we turn to, and we either take this upon ourselves or we give it to others, the first thing is platitudes. We turn to platitudes. Platitudes I would define as pithy wisdom that is simply a regurgitation of what others have written or talked about on any given subject. Know this about platitudes. They will never replace time spent in the presence of God. Right? If someone in your life has a spouse that dies, one of the most unintentional, hurtful things you can say to them is they're in a better place now. Or it's going to be okay. Don't gloss over the pain. Don't gloss over the hardship. That person is going through their worst day, their biggest nightmare, their worst fear. Platitudes are not helpful in situations where care needs to be present. Make sense? When you're going through hard things, you might be like, it's okay, because I saw a bumper sticker that said, God's got this. Now, does he? Totally. Do you know that? 
You might know it as a subject you learned in school, but does your soul know that? Do you have comfort? Are you tempted to lie on that cushion next to Jesus because you know if he's sleeping, it's okay for you too also? Platitudes. The second is strategies. We can call this the gospel of trying harder or rip off what our favorite church influencer is doing. Strategies are a poor substitute for spirit-led ministry. I'm not saying don't have a strategy. I'm just saying please make sure that the spirit of God is guiding you through life and ministry, especially when things get dicey. I remember that the church that I was working at the week before COVID started was in the middle of this like vision 2020 thing. We're like, here's the things God has for us as a church. And like the rest of the world, threw all of that out the window the second week of March in 2020 and had to adapt. And I'm so glad that we did because had we stuck with our vision 2020 and celebrating the 40th anniversary of our church and all these cool things that we were hoping to do, had we just stuck to that? How out of place and out of pocket would it seem as a church as the world is facing something that in modern times we had not faced? The Spirit of God had to lead us in that moment. I remember just watching our church leadership own that and make really wonderful decisions through that. The same thing is going to be true for you in your life as you face storms and trials and struggles. You have to remember that the Spirit of God is leading you as a leader. That your strategy is good only if it's spirit-led. But adopting another church's strategy or adopting another person's playbook, I'm not saying don't do that. I'm just saying please make sure that that's what God wants you to do. Third thing, and this is for you who are really young, especially those of you who are really young and working with students. We have way too much hype in our youth groups. We have way too much hype in our youth groups. I say that as someone who has kids in youth group. I say that as a parent of students who attend youth group twice a week. I'm all for hyping up Jesus. I'm all for making him known and making him famous. But when kids are struggling with things like depression, when kids are struggling with, with what is my sexuality, why is this wrong, is it right, hype does not get them where healing does. And so if you're trying to manufacture an emotional response because it, it shows that there's engagement, it shows that there's energy, and like I harped on earlier, healthy things grow, that's not going to last. That's like the seed that was sown into the thorny soil. It might grow fast. It might have an opportunity to sprout up, or sorry, the rocky soil. It might, it might in the moment seem like, wow, God's really in this. Look, God is doing a new thing, but will it last? Will it last? I'm not saying don't hype up Jesus. I'm just saying please prepare your students and those that you are discipling for the realities of life. In this world, you will have trouble. It's a promise. What is also a promise is that we can take heart because God has overcome the world. He's conquered it. Hype has no healing power. Only the God of heaven does. Only the God of heaven does. Henry Nouwen said that the great illusion of leadership is to think that man can be led out of the desert by someone who has never been there. God will not waste your pain. He will use it. He will use it in ways that will set people free. He will use it in ways to make people who feel very alone feel incredibly seen. He will use it in ways to break strongholds, deep, secret sin that you yourself or the people you're leading have found themselves in to cope with the harsh realities of this world. And friend, you navigating that desert, you navigating that storm gives you the strength and the tools and the skill set to lead others through it as well. 
I wanted to close reading this passage for you. And then I wanted to end with kind of a fun exercise. Because there's one, there's one piece to um, the story of the disciples it would be kind of reading into the text too much, but it was an observation I had as I studied and, and kind of reworked this message for this week. Out of all 12 disciples that were there in the boat, not one of them stood up and said, it's going to be okay. Out of all 12 disciples that were in the boat, not one of them said, if he's at peace, I can be at peace. I think the greatest gift that you have in your ministry and in your leadership are the men and women who are in this room. Because what the enemy of God likes to do is he likes to isolate us, and he likes to make us feel as though I'm the only one going through something hard at my church. But look around the room. There are other people doing very similar things in very similar communities. And that's something that we can't take lightly and we can't take for granted. The, the networking opportunities that happen at retreats like this, the opportunity for connection, the opportunity to make a friend, Someone that you can text or call and say, I'm going through it. And they could say, I was just there. The opportunity for someone to say, hey, you want to get coffee? I'm, I'm, I'm driving through your town. I'd love to hear how ministry is going. Is one of those things that can help us when life gets hard. Because here's, here's something that like, if I was teaching this at a church on Sunday, this sentence wouldn't make sense, but I think it will land really well here. There are things that are so unique to ministry that are impossible to articulate to people who don't understand and have not worked in ministry. There's a lot of power in shared experience. And I wonder if someone on the boat that day had just said, hey, 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 remember the mustard seed? We just heard that. I wonder how different that interaction would have been. You need people in your life who can remind you, I don't think God said to go yet. I don't think God's done, God's done working yet. There still is hope. There still is opportunity. You just need to take heart. Can I pray for you? Can I encourage you? And so what I want to do is I want to read this passage out of Romans. And then as we kind of intro this last song that we'll close with tonight, I wanted to give you an opportunity to just turn to like one or two people that are around you or in this room. Maybe it's someone that you came up here with. Maybe, maybe you came alone and it's like a friend that you met since you've been here. And, and to encourage them, to encourage them in the calling that God has placed on their life, to encourage them to have faith, to encourage them to, to take heart that God is still alive, that God is still at work, that people are still coming to know him, that many of your youth groups are experiencing tremendous growth right now as we recover from COVID, that, that many of you as individuals are learning things and, and picking up new, new skills and new tools that are that are just amazing. You're, you, some of you are living out a prayer that you prayed years ago. And because it's hard, you've forgotten that. Some of you are living in an answered prayer and the difficulties of life have robbed you of the faith to say, thank you, God, for answering this prayer. I did pray I wanted to be a youth pastor or I did pray I wanted to have a team or I did pray I wanted to have volunteers and I have them and thank you. And sometimes the best person to hear that word from is a peer or a colleague. And so let me read this passage. And just as we go into this last song of worship, I want you to, uh, I want you to just turn to someone you came with or someone you met and just encourage them. Share some words of refreshment. Share some words of encouragement with them. Romans 8 verse 31 says this. It says, What thou shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? 
ministry leader, if God is for you, who can be against you? He's already promised that the gates of hell will not prevail against his church. He did not, he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Who will bring any, chain, any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who is then the one who con- condemns? No one. Christ Jesus who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake, we face death all day long. We are considered a sheep to be slaughtered. Knowing all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. When you face hard times, remember, God is on your side. And he's equipped and empowered you to do exactly the thing that he's called you to. It's going to be okay. So let's close with just encouraging one another in that. Look someone in the eyes and tell them like how important they are, that what they do matters. If you know them personally, point out things that you see in them that, that resemble the character and likeness and person of Jesus. Maybe it's someone you know that's just on the edge of quitting. Remind them that what they do matters. And then if God has not said it's time to quit, then it is not time to quit. So God, as we close, I pray that people would leave this room tonight feeling refreshed and encouraged in what they do and who you've made them to be and the calling that you've put on their lives. We love you so much.